Orchestra. Take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 15 this morning, if you will. Luke in chapter 15 this morning. I'm going to talk to you this morning about the other prodigal stayed home. The other prodigal stayed home. How many of you remember when your kids were real little? You'd take the little toes and this little piggy went to the market. This little piggy stayed home. How many of you knew when the piggy went to the market, he got cut up and put him in butcher paper and put in the freezer? And can I tell you that so often we think of the prodigal and we think of him dishonoring his father. We think of him disobeying his father. We think of the shame associated with all that happened with the prodigal. And in the story of the prodigal, we see the wonderful picture of forgiveness. We see the beautiful picture of being received in the family and how beautiful and wonderful that is. But I'm afraid so often we skip over a passage here and an understanding that it was not just one of the sons of the father who was prodigal, but rather one of the prodigals stayed home. Look, if you will, here in Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field. Now hold on a moment. That's the boy that didn't leave. That's the boy that didn't say to his dad, hey, when you die, I'm going to get such and such. Give it to me now. I'm out of here. I'm done with home, I'm done with rules, I'm done with everything. I want to go and take what you have given, you give it to me now. He left. The picture there, representation of that boy walking away, leaving his mom, leaving his dad, leaving his family, leaving the farm, leaving all his responsibility. But the boy we're reading about now didn't leave home. He didn't say to his dad, hey, give me what's coming to me. He didn't say, I'm tired of the rules. He didn't say, I'm tired of working on the farm. He stayed. The Bible tells us there in verse 25, and now the elder son was in the field. By the way, he wasn't in the field looking up in the sky, twiddling his thumbs. He was working. He was laboring. He, he was carrying the burden of the farm. By the way, he had carried twice the burden now. The whole time his brother had been away. He was in the field. And as he came and drew nigh to the house... He heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. Who's that? The prodigal. The one that brought shame to the father. The one that wasn't working on the farm. The one that wasn't at home. The one that was living a wicked lifestyle. Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Verse 28 is the pivotal verse here that reveals the heart of the other prodigal. And he was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. 
Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this, thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe with all my heart this morning that we need the message and the teaching and the truth we find here this morning. Lord, I believe our culture today, Christianity, Lord, is leaning so heavily in the direction of this other brother that stayed home, this other prodigal. Lord, I pray you'd help us. Help us to be authentic Christians. Help us to see the reality of our relationship in Christ. Help us, Lord, to find our identity in you and not in what we do. God, help us to quit trying to take your job of being judge of the world. Lord, would you encourage us? God, if need be, would you change us? Would you convict my heart this morning? Lord, would you work through us? God, help me to preach and write your truth. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. The picture of the prodigal son, as we call him, the one that left his dad and went to the far country and wasted his substance with riotous living and ended up in the hog pen. And it said that he looked down, he was in such a bad place, and he said, man, that looks delicious. And if you've ever been around hogs and slopping hogs, you know that to think that hog slop looks delicious, you're in bad, <laughs> bad shape. But in that story of the prodigal coming to himself, and he says, in my father's house, he said, if I go back and be a servant, I'll, I'll have enough to eat, I'll be fine. I will arise and go back into my father's house. And I love that picture, that decision to come back and how powerful and how wonderful. I love when he came back and the father, rather than putting his foot on his neck as a symbol of the culture to his servants, kill him. Rather, he fell on his neck and kissed him. And hucked him. And he said, put a robe on his back and a ring on his finger and kill the fatted calf and invite all my friends and let's have a party and make merry for this my son who was dead. He's alive. I love that story of the family being reunited. In that Christian, we have a picture of the love of our heavenly father for us. But I want us this morning to look a little past that. I want us not to focus on that prodigal, the one who went to the far country. By the way, he went and he did everything opposite of what his dad taught him. He, he lived a lifestyle outside the boundaries of the truth that he had been, had been given to him and passed on to him. He, he was living in such a way that it brought shame and reproach. But there was another son who did not leave home, who did not go to the far country, who did not disobey his father. He did not dishonor him with his life. 
The other prodigal didn't go to the far country. He stayed home. He didn't turn his back on his father. He stayed with the father. He didn't waste his substance with riotous living. Instead, he served the father well. When the prodigal son came home, the other brother's in the field working. He didn't spend time in the hog pen. Yet I believe he's just as much a prodigal. And I believe he pictures a tendency that as believers we often lean towards. And I want us to examine a few things about him this morning. Number one, the other prodigal wasn't sensitive to the inside activity of the father's house. The Bible tells us there in verse 25, Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And the father hath killed the fatted calf, because he had received him safe and sound. Now hold on a minute. Was he in the far country? No. Was he wasting his substance? Was he living uh, with harlots? Was he, was he doing things to dishonor his father? No, he was working. He was busy. He was so busy, in fact, that he had to go to the servant and say, hey, what's going on at home? He was disconnected. He was disconnected from the father's house. He was busy being a good boy. He was busy checking all the boxes of what he, he knew to be the right thing to do. But he was disassociated with the father's house. He, he was making sure that he, he, he crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's and that he did everything that he knew was right. But the relationship and the family wasn't there. He thought acceptance was through loyalty. Can I tell you that I love that song, Loyalty to Christ, and it's a wonderful song. We're going to sing it tonight. It's a wonderful song. We ought to be loyal to Christ. But my acceptation in Christ, who I am in Christ, is not based on whether I'm loyal or not. It's based on Him being loyal to me. It's based on who Jesus is, not who I am. Some of you, your whole life, have lived with the idea that I've got to make sure that I keep these rules, and as long as I do all these things, then God will be happy with me. And then God will really love me. I want you to know this morning, God loves you now. While you were yet a sinner, Christ died for you. By the way, if you got saved out of, out of drunkenness and alcoholism, can I tell you, when you lay there in your own vomit with an empty bottle of booze beside of you, God looked out from heaven and said, I love him. I love him. I died for him. Can I tell you, no matter how broken your past, no matter how horrible the things in your life, God loves you. And that doesn't change when you get saved. You know, we have no problem preaching the gospel to a lost world and saying God loves you. But somehow, as believers, we have a problem believing that God still loves us after we get saved. We think we got to keep doing stuff so God will keep loving us. This older brother thought acceptance was through loyalty. 
Romans 8 says, and of Christ be in you. The body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. By the way, if I ask you this morning, how many of you believe in salvation through works? Probably nobody would raise your hands. He said, no, preacher, the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. To get to God, preacher, we know that. We say we believe in salvation by grace through faith, but we tend to live in such a way like this other prodigal that, man, I got to make sure I do all the good stuff. I'm not saying we should disobey the Lord, but I'm saying that my identity and who I am in Christ, my relationship with Christ is not based upon what I do or my service or my labor. This brother who stayed home, this other prodigal, he wasn't sensitive to the inside workings of the Father's house. Christ is our mediator. He loves us. Can I make a statement this morning, a powerful statement, I believe, that I I hope you'll get a hold of this morning with this thought. Too many Christians have divorced their first love and have remarried the offspring of their first love. Some have left the Savior and have started courting doctrine. They're more concerned with the doctrine of Christ than they are with the deity of Christ. Can I tell you that being a Baptist won't get you to heaven? nor will be in any other religion, nor will join in any other church because my salvation is based on who Jesus is. That's it. I believe this other brother was so wrapped up, and by the way, I believe it started when his brother left. I believe he looked at his brother and said, what a loser. What a bum. How could he do that to our dad? How could he do that to our family? I'll never do that. I'm going I'm to show dad that I'm the best son. I, I'm going to work harder than my brother. I'm going to do everything I can do to show my dad that I'm the best son he ever had. And yet there was a disassociation with the father's house. Christian, don't ever let yourself get so busy that you get disassociated with the father's house that you get disassociated with the inner workings of God's plan and God's purpose. We've got to have the pulse of our God. I bought, I got a Fitbit this year. I went Boxing Day shopping, Brother Ahmad. I went Boxing Day shopping for 15 minutes. And uh, some of you went Boxing Day shopping and you braved the crowds, not me. I pulled up in Best Buy. I walked in. I said, I want this. I walked out. I was done. Uh, but I got this Fitbit. It tracks how much I sleep. I sleep like three hours a day. Uh, it tracks by the mic my heart. It says I don't have one. And now for it to work, it has to be on my wrist. If I take it off and lay it there, it can't feel my pulse. It, it doesn't read what my pulse is. Why? Because it has to be connected. It has to be on my wrist. It has to be touching to be able to get that reading of the pulse. Christian, too many of us, like the other prodigal, we're doing right things. 
We look right, we talk right, we act right. We're busy. But we don't have a finger on the pulse of our Father's house and what he wants. We see, number one, I said that the other prodigal wasn't sensitive to the inside activity of the Father's house. Number two, the other prodigal's lack of intimacy turned to anger. Verse 28, and he was angry. By the way, if you ask him, if he said, hey, do you have a right to be angry? So you better believe it. Yeah, I've got a right to be angry. That good for nothing, dirty, sorry brother of mine dishonored my mother and brought a bad name on my dad and he didn't do his job and he failed and he dishonored. And I have a right to be angry. Guarantee you he thought he had a right. His lack of closeness caused and kindled an anger, an anger that was a fire. It goes on to say, and would not go in, therefore came his father out and treated him. He would not fellowship with his brother. We're talking about blood brothers. Now, I know that this is a touchy subject, and I know that there are some of you come from difficult family situations, and I want to be sensitive to that. I know that some of you would say, Pastor, I... I have a dysfunctional family. I, I understand that. But there are families where some of you maybe even experienced it personally, where brothers and sisters are brothers, they don't talk. And I, I don't want to talk to him. There are those that you have people in your life that maybe once you were close to that now there's a separation. And, but we're talking about brothers same blood, same father. And he said, I'm not going in there. I'm not going to do it. By the way, no different, no different than the Christian who gets lifted up in pride and says, I'm not fellowshipping with that guy. He's, man, you know what he did? You know what's going on in his life? I want no part of him. I'm better than him. Now, we wouldn't say those words. We, we wouldn't let those words come out of our mouth. But that's what's in our heart. Can I tell you, he would not fellowship with his brother. Blood brothers. They grew up in the same house. They had the same teaching. They had the same mom. They had the same dad. Sometimes as believers, we struggle with fellowshipping with others that we feel like... They're below me. They don't love God as much as I do. Now, we wouldn't say that out loud because then it would sound ridiculous. Then we'd be ashamed of ourselves. But we act that way. He wouldn't fellowship. By the way, he wasn't just angry at his brother. He was angry at his dad. The Bible says his, his dad from inside the house said, Hey, come on in. Your brother's here. And his brother said, no. His dad went outside and treated him. Hey, man, come on inside. No. Don't touch me. I'm not going in there. He was mad at his dad. How do you know? 
The Bible goes on to say, he said to his dad, hey, I've been here. You didn't give me even a, even a, a goat so I could have a party with my friends, and yet you kill the fatted calf for my brother. He was jealous. He was angry. It's horrible when Christians get angry at their father. But when we have a bad relationship and a bad attitude towards other believers, that attitude is not just directed at our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's also directed at our father. And it causes our family relationship to suffer. The other prodigal lacked intimacy. He didn't have that closeness. Now, he worked for the father. He was with the father. He did what the father said. He, he was serving the father. He was trying to make the father proud of him. But there wasn't a closeness and intimacy and walk between the son and the father. He was angry at his father for forgiving his brother. If you will, he wanted his brother to pay for his sin. He wanted his brother to, to get what was coming to him. How many of you have siblings? You got a brother? You got a sister? How many of you remember when your brother or sister did something bad to you and you couldn't wait till they got punished? The rest of you are liars. <laughs> You're going to get it now. And you'd listen. Ow! And you went, yeah. It's okay to admit it. You know, we're, we're all on the same level here. Now let's go to, the, go to the corner. But anyway, we see here the brother. He wanted his brother to pay. He wanted his brother to suffer. Not because he loved his brother. Because he was angry. He was bitter. I'm afraid... One of the reasons a lot of prodigals never come home is because they know the bitterness of those they may come back to. They know that although their father would receive them, we wouldn't. The other prodigal stayed home. He had a bitterness in his heart. Many of us... I'm afraid today in our world are not experiencing an intimate relationship with the Savior. We say we work for Him. We, we obey Him. We say we love Him. I have a dear friend, Steve McCoy, who called me yesterday. His his wife, we prayed for Steve and for his wife. His wife has had a couple of strokes. She has serious aphasia and other health issues. She has horrible diabetes. Her, she, her health's very bad. She's on dialysis. Steve called me. Steve, uh, Lori, his wife, is Brother Joe Elwell's daughter that we support. And I was talking to Steve on video call in the hospital. She's there. She has a blood infection right now. And as he was talking to me, I heard his wife say, I love you. I love you. And, and her, her words don't come easily. And 
with aphasia, she struggles with what she says. She can't carry conversations like you and I would today. Her mind is sharp, but just some issues there. And Steve said, it's not, it's not our son. It's, it's Brian Rice. And later I heard, Brian, I love you. Four or five times, Lori said, I love you. Steve's laughing. He said, well, at least she loves you. You know, we, we want to say to God, I love you, God. But that's all we want to do is say it. We don't want a close relationship. We see here the prodigal, the other prodigal, lacked intimacy. And that separation from intimacy with the father turned to resentment. It turned to anger. It built pride. Number three, and I've got to hurry this morning, the other prodigal was doctrinally straight, but had a critical spirit. And I believe that we hit the bullseye right here. Of one of the biggest problems we face today, Christianity. We, we want to be, we got everything right. We have the right doctrine. Everything's just right. But I'll keep my critical spirit. Thank you very much. Verse 29, the Bible says, And he answered and said to his father. These are the words here of the other prodigal. He answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. By the way, that's a lie. He wasn't perfect. Yet he thought he was. Christian, that's where we get. We get to the place where we think we're perfect. But I've never done anything wrong. I'll get everything right. He said, neither transgressed I at any time. Thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. If you let me use this phrase, he practiced correct doctrine. In other words, he did what dad said. He stayed home. He did the work he was supposed to do. He fulfilled his obligations. I mean, he was in the field working. He did right. By the way, he should have done that. He, he should have been working in the field. He should have been obeying the Father. He should have been honoring the Father. All those things he should have done, just as Jesus said to the Pharisees, uh, you know, these things ought ye to have done, but you've left some other things undone. He left some things undone. He had a critical spirit. He, he didn't go out into harlotry into the far country. He was home but he had a critical spirit. That lack of intimacy with your God, that looking at yourself and finding your definition of who you are and your works and your things divorces us from the closeness of the relationship with our Savior. And in that closeness, we find that sweet communion, that sweet fellowship. Outside of it, we breed a critical spirit. He had no compassion. Look at verse 30. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed the fatted calf for him. How many of you have ever been around chickens? I'm not talking about fried chicken. 
although I'd like to be around some fried chicken right now. That sounds pretty good. Uh, can somebody go to Popeye's for me? Uh, I like some, Brother Royce, once you go, red beans and rice, big tub of it, some wings. Awesome. Uh, I'm talking about live chickens, you know, the kind that uh, poop breakfast. Uh, you know, I, I'm talking about the, the kinds that, you know, walk around strutting and putting and scratching and I'm going to say something that's going to, it's going to ruin it for some of you. Chickens are some of the nastiest creatures in the face of the earth. And that's the truth. <laughs> but I'll eat every one I get a chance to eat because they're delicious. Their deliciousness makes up for their disgustingness. But they're gross animals. They're nasty, vile, stupid animals. I mean, they are, it's hard to explain how stupid chickens are. They're almost as bad as Christians, but they, they're just, ugh. But if, you get, if you've been around chickens, you get a group of chickens, and you let one of those chickens get a wound or a sore on it, you know what all the other chickens do? They don't go, oh, you've got a problem. I'm really sorry. I hope that it gets better. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord, please don't let us be eaten by KFC and bless this chicken who's in trouble. No, they don't do that. They walk over and go, start pecking at it. And as soon as one chicken starts pecking at the wound on the other guy, the other chicken's like, oh, I want it. And then all the chickens, before you know it, the chicken with just a little wound on it's laying there, bleeding out, blood spraying out. Before you know it, chicken's dead. Because the other chickens just kept picking at it. Just kept poking. It's exactly what the brother wanted to do. By the way, the hog pen moment came. He was on his face and he said, Oh God, I want to go back to my father. He repented in that hog pen. He was ashamed of what he'd done. He wanted to go back home. He came back home, and his brother said, Christian, we better be careful. Because sometimes we're guilty of the same thing. It's been said the Christian army is the only army that shoots its own wounded. This brother was right in what he did and how he acted, but he was wrong in his heart. He was wrong in his attitude. He had a critical spirit. He had a spirit that had no compassion. And John 8, 7 says, When they continued to ask him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, He that is without sin among you, let him cast the first stone at her. You know the story? Woman caught in adultery. They brought her, say, here, Jesus, we caught her in adultery, the very act. The Bible says Jesus wrote on the ground. I heard a preacher one time say that he thought that Jesus wrote, where is the man? I don't know what Jesus wrote, but I don't know what Jesus said. He said, okay, that's a good idea. Let's kill her. I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll tell you what let's do it this way. Whichever one of you has no sin, you go ahead and start killing her. They all had their rocks. They all had their stones ready to stone her. 
And I imagine one by one, they laid them down and walked away. The other prodigal, the one that stayed home, he thought he had no sin. Be careful, Christian, the farther you get from the Father, the farther you get from the Word of the Father, the more you begin to judge yourself by your standard rather than God's standard. And you begin to see yourself, I'm perfect. It used to be the unit of measure wasn't on a measuring tape, a set unit of a, a meter, an inch, or foot as it is today. They took the leader of whatever country it was and they measured his arm. And that became the standard of measurement. That means if there was a tall giant of a man as a leader, that unit was longer. <laughs> if there was a smaller leader next, that unit had to change. It was based on the leader, not on a set standard. God's standard is based on Christ, which is perfect. Amen. Not on us. This other prodigal who stayed home did right, but had a wrong spirit. Let's not be guilty of that, Christians. Let's not be guilty of allowing our spirit to be critical of being wrong. I want to think about a couple of folks this morning. How many of you would like to hear the Apostle Paul preach? I'd love, to have been, I'd love to hear him preach. I'll tell you what I would like to have been. I'd like to have been at Mars Hill. I would have loved to have been at Mars Hill when Paul stood up and said, I, I can see you're pretty religious people here. He said, I see you have all these different tombs. Matter of fact, you're so religious, you, you, you didn't want to miss one, so you have the tomb of the unknown God. He said, I'm here today to tell you who that, who that is that you don't know, the God that you, you, you want to worship, but you don't know how to worship, is Jesus Christ. I would love to have been there as Paul reasoned and shared the gospel and how powerful that would have been. And we think of Paul, the great apostle Paul, the great missionary. And yet... When we get lifted up in pride and we really look at Paul, it says in Romans 7.15, For that which I would do, I allow not. For what I would, that I do not. But what I hate, that I do. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Hold on a minute. That same Paul that stood up and preached at Mars Hill was struggling with the flesh. That preacher, that great preacher of the gospel to the Gentiles, he had, a, he had a struggle with his flesh. I'm not listening to him. He's not perfect like I am. That's where our heart goes sometimes. Romans 7 says, oh, wretched man that I am. Paul didn't say, oh, great preacher that I am. Oh, great evangelist that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall deliver us from the body of this death? I thank God through Christ Jesus our Lord. So then with the mind I serve self, the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. It's almost a cry for help. And by the way, a cry that comes from all our hearts. Because we all are in the same condition. Praise God, redeemed, forgiven, loved by a holy God. You know, if, if we had, uh, in a few weeks, week and a half, we have...
Pastor Wilkerson and his dear wife coming. Wonderful, sweet Christians. I, I really hope all of you get to meet them. I, I don't say this lightly when I say he's probably one of the, one of the best Christians that I know. I, I promise you he'll, he'll be an encouragement to you if you just get to say hello. But if a week and a half from now, Pastor Wilkerson gets up behind this pulpit and before he begins his message, says, hey, you know what? I'm having trouble with the flesh. I'm struggling here. You know what most of you would do? You'd get up and leave. You'd say, well, I'm not, <laughs> I don't need to hear what he has to say. How does that happen? It happens when we develop a critical spirit by separating ourselves from the Father. Oh, I'm doing all the right stuff, but my spirit's not right. Number four, the other prodigal that stayed home was not aware of what he had by being a part of the Father's house. Christian, don't miss this this morning. Don't miss this thought. Verse 31, it says, And he said unto the Son, Thou art ever with me. And all that I have, all that I have is thine. The other prodigal was complaining. He said, Dad, you, you gave him the fatted calf. You put a robe on You gave him a ring. You never even gave me a goat. Not even a kid goat to, to have a party with my friends. And the father said, what are you talking about, boy? Everything is yours. Years ago, before we came to Canada, probably 20 years ago, I was at my parents' house. and We weren't yet in Canada. We were traveling, and we were going to be there for Christmas. And Outside of my room when I was a boy, in that same room then, was an old shotgun. I leaned up in an old dusty corner by a bookshelf. Now that old shotgun had been broken at that time for about 30 years or 40 years. It was my dad's. It was an old bolt action 20 gauge shotgun with a adjustable choke. It was an old magazine fed. It was an old gun, old gun. And right after he got that gun, his brother, his oldest brother, took it out to shoot a groundhog. How many of you know what a groundhog is? The rest of you poor folks haven't lived. Uh, they're the little, they're the little herbivores. Imagine a beaver with much smaller teeth and a little tail. Uh, that's kind of like what a groundhog is. And the little ones, Brother Mike, are pretty delicious. The old ones, you got to have a lot of sets of teeth to eat them. But my uncle went to shoot this groundhog. And he shot the groundhog with the shotgun. And the groundhog went up in the tree. And for some reason, my uncle, my dad's older brother was mad that that groundhog didn't die and didn't come out of the tree. So he took the shotgun. He grabbed the barrel of the shotgun like a, a baseball bat. And he whacked that groundhog out of the tree and broke the stalk in half. That happened probably sometime in the 
late 1960s. From the time I can remember on, that broken shotgun was leaning up in a dusty corner. It was useless. Hadn't been used in 30, 40 years. And I got the idea as a Christmas present from my dad that I was going to fix it. I was going to get a stock. I was going to fix the gun. I was going to re-blue it. And I was going to give it to him as a Christmas gift. I planned it all out. I thought I was brother, pretty sneaky, Brother Ahmad, as I smuggled it out of the house. I, Dad didn't know. Dad didn't see. A little bit after, the next day or a few days later, my dad said to my mom these words, something along the lines of, I don't know why Brian took my gun. I mean, he can have it when I'm dead someday. I don't know why he wanted to take it. I think he felt bad Christmas morning whenever he opened the box and realized that I was just fixing it for him. <laughs> but he said to my mom, well, that, that's going to be his someday. Why did he take it now? So often we have a disconnect. And we think someday I'm going to have everything my father wants to give me, but not now. The other prodigal was not aware of what he already had by being a part of the Father's house. Christians so often were not aware of what we have by being part of the Father's house, by being the children of God. Romans 8 says, As many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, and of children that heirs, heirs of God, and join heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. And then talking about the Son of God, it says in John 1, verse 12, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. By being the member of the Father's house, we have a portion. We have a portion and a position in heaven. Ephesians 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God, I love those words, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath he quickened together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together and made us set together in heavenly places. By being a member of the Father's house, we have forgiveness of sin. He was saying to the brother, come on inside. He said, you have everything that I have. So did his brother. Sometimes we get angry. We think we deserve more from God than somebody else. Why, why does God give them? They're not as good as I am. They're not as straight doctrinally as I am. They're not as pure as I am. They're not as holy as I am. They're not as committed as I am. They don't work as hard. As... We don't say these things out loud. But we thank them in our heart. The prodigal here, the other prodigal, wasn't aware of what he had. But by being a member of the Father's house, we have full 
forgiveness of sin. That's a wonderful thing, full forgiveness. But God commendeth his love towards us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I don't have to work for forgiveness. I can't. It's a gift. I believe that he'd fallen just as his brother had fallen. But he had available to him the relationship with the Father. Because of all that came by being a part of the Father's house. Christian, we have all that comes. We read in this book by being a part of the Father's house. Number five this morning, the other prodigal to him, correctness. Correctness meant more to him than than compassion or conversion. Look in verse 32. The father said it was meet that we should make merry and be glad for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I love the story of the woman at the well, the sidecar's well. Can I tell you what the eventual eventually happened that day in the city of Samaria and the areas about Samaria? Many people got saved. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know there were 12 followers of Jesus Christ, 12 preachers, 12 evangelists, if you will, 12 disciples? And not one of them, as far as we know, not one of them led one soul to Jesus Christ. I mean, James and John, who were close to the Lord, Peter, who was like, I'll follow you all the way. Not one of them. You know who God used? God used the woman. By the way, a woman... Who Jesus said, thou hast well said, thou hast no husband. You've had a whole bunch of them. And the one you have now is not yours. We, we see there, and yet the Bible tells us, and God records in Scripture, that she left her water pots. Hold on a second. Maud, she didn't get baptized yet. She didn't join the local church in Samaria yet. There wasn't one existing yet, but she didn't join the church. I don't know how she was dressed, but I, I have a feeling by her lifestyle, she probably was dressed apart. She didn't go change clothes. What happened when she got saved? She went straight to tell people about Jesus Christ. Can I tell you what a lot of Christians would say today? You can't do that. No, you don't tell people about Jesus. You wait, wait a few years. Once, you, once you're a holy, righteous, godly, perfect Christian, then you can tell somebody about Jesus Christ. There, there were some trophies of grace, if you will, there in town with her, the disciples. They didn't tell him about Jesus, but she did. And God recorded it in Scripture. Obviously, Jesus was okay with it. We've been looking in our adult Sunday school and we, we closed up today talking about the journey to the tomb. There was a message. A message that Jesus had. 
that needed to be delivered to the disciples and Peter, as it says. Who did Jesus give that message to? Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, the woman that had been possessed by devils. Mary Magdalene, a fallen woman. As she came to the tomb, the angel said, Here, you take this message. You give it to the disciples. You give it to, you give it to Peter. Now, there are many who are more concerned about correctness than they are compassion or conversion, who would have said, hold on, Mary, here, you give me that message. <laughs> you don't go talk to the disciples. There are many who would say, whoa, 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 Peter might have said to that woman, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. You don't go tell those people, I'll tell them. <laughs> you don't have any right. Because you don't talk like me, you don't look like me, you don't act like me. I'm not saying this morning we ought not obey the word of God. I'm not saying this morning we ought not to be becoming like Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, we need to make sure that we keep the focus on compassion. We keep the focus on conversion. We see the brother here missed it. He missed it. We need to realize God has a plan. By the way... We want to give a very tight scope and say, well, you know what? There's only a few people that really love the Lord. It was like Elijah. Oh, God, there's nobody. Nobody loves you like I do. There's nobody that serves you. And God said, what do you mean? There's a whole bunch of, a whole bunch of sons of the prophets. A lot of churches today. A lot of preachers today. Oh, well, there, there, there's, there's, there's just no good churches in, in our town. What, what they mean by that is there's, there's nobody that believes exactly the way I believe about everything. That's what they mean by it. And God have pity on them. May we realize the importance of the gospel getting out, the importance of compassion for the lost. By the way, God, God didn't call you to keep his word pure. That's God's job. What's your job? To tell his word. That's the way it works. I, I don't have to guard it and hold it and keep it pure. God does that. I just got to give it out. I, I, I just got to tell it. That's, that's, that's the focus, the way the focus ought to be. By the way, he didn't call me to build a church. God didn't call you to build a church. Why? God says, I'll build my church. That's not my job. That's not a man's job. That's God's job. God didn't call us to create a correct doctrine. God did that. He did, however, Christian, and he has, however, called you and called me to take the message of the gospel to all of the world. We need to be about our Father's business. Jesus was in Jerusalem. Mary and Joseph were there. And they left. and On their way home, they realized, hey, did you get Jesus? No. I thought you got Jesus. Ha! They turn around. They run back to town. We lost Jesus. I mean, it's one thing losing a child. That's pretty bad. I mean, you lose your child. Some of you, you know, 
Uh, you maybe lost your kids. Hope you found them. But you lose your kid. That's bad. They lost the son of God. I mean, think about that. They come back. I can hear Mary now. What were you doing? And Jesus said, wish you not. It must be about my father's business. Christian, we need to be about our father's business. By the way, our father's business is not trying to impress somebody. It's loving as Jesus loved. Let's not fall into the danger that the other prodigal fell into of becoming disassociated, critical, bitter, separated, and allowing correctness to become the focus rather than compassion, rather than conversion. May we ask God to make bare our hearts this morning. If you're here this morning and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, can I tell you that God loves you? He loves you exactly the way you are. He loves you in spite of your sin. He already proved it by dying on the cross of Calvary for you. He did not just die. He was buried and rose again. And he says to you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall, not might be, shall be saved. Today, he said, I stand. He knocks on your heart this morning. Would you let him in? Would you trust him today? Christian, would you this morning take a few moments during this time of invitation to come and ask the Lord. Ask the Lord to reveal the condition of your heart. Maybe, maybe this morning you're a bit like the other prodigal. Maybe you're away from the Lord and some things in your life you need to make right this morning. Maybe... All the outward looks good, but your heart's not where it should be. May we use this time to honor the Lord and ask the Lord to help us this morning. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity we have to be a part of your family. How powerful that verse in John that tells us you've given us the power to become the sons of God. Lord, I confess it's easy as we separate from you, as we allow our walk to be far, as we begin to live for doing rather than being, as we seek our acceptance and approval and loyalty and obedience rather than in our acceptance in the beloved in Christ Jesus. Lord, it's easy for us to get critical. It's easy for us to get bitter. It's easy for our outside to be right and our heart to be wrong. Lord, help us this morning to see that. Lord, I pray if there's one away from you in their life, Lord, maybe they, like the prodigal, have wandered far from you. Lord, I pray they would find their hog pen moment this morning on their knees at an altar. And they would know the joy of the Father wrapping his arms around them and saying, I love you, I'm welcome home. And God may, as believers and brothers and sisters in Christ, may we be as welcoming as the Father was. May we love as you loved. Lord, work in our hearts. God, may your will be done this morning. Thank you for what you've done, for what you're going to do. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.
And let's take our hymnals. We'll turn to number uh, 296, Lord, I'm Coming Home. And let's stand together as we sing this number 296. I wandered far away from God. Now I'm coming. this morning that your desire will be that we could have a close relationship with the Father. And what a wonderful thing that we can do so, how powerful that is. Let me encourage you to be here this afternoon. We're going to talk about removing some roadblocks to answer prayer tonight. It'll be a help to you, our young folks in our patch club. Uh, looking forward to them being able to be a part. Appreciate our ladies that work with that. Thanks for being here this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Gerald if you would. sure appreciate Brother Gerald and Miss Carol faithful family. Brother Gerald, would you close us in prayer uh, this morning? 